The invite everyone wants. A lot of people have not received notifications that should have. Speeding up BC's booster shots and how we still have a way to go before catching up with the rest of Canada. An exercise in frustration. It's very ambiguous as to what is right and what is wrong. The impact of restrictions on the fitness industry and how some studios are just staying open. And car thieves go straight to the source. We have approximately 300 cars on ground here. A used car lot hit hard. What else they stole that makes things even worse? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. B.C. continues to lag behind other provinces when it comes to booster shots. And while the race against the highly contagious Omicron variant continues, there are many questions about our approach. Richard Zussman joins us now with more on what B.C. needs to do to catch up. Richard. And Sophie, we are starting to play catch up now, but there's still a lot of work to be done. I spoke to dozens of people today who either got their booster shot over the weekend or have attempted to book it. And the theme is common. Try, try, and in some cases, try again. The hottest item in town, a COVID-19 booster shot. Right now, anyone 18 plus and 182 days since a second COVID shot can now book a booster. People are scrambling to get an appointment. In some cases, it was simple. I got it, I think it was on Saturday, and I booked it on a Wednesday. And purely only because of work. I could have done it Tuesday. In other cases, much more difficult. Many people never getting a text to book, only to call again and again to the province's hotline, eventually getting a shot. Because we were in Whistler, we thought, okay, let's call. So we called Nestor's, we called Rexall, we called Shoppers. They had nothing. But uh, one of the pharmacists said, just keep checking the system and something might pop up. There's special concern from teachers and school staff who will be back at schools Tuesday, albeit with no students until next week. So I get my booster this afternoon. I'm super happy about that. Um, and I'm looking forward to being boosted because that's one of the only things I can do to ensure the safety of the school system. The biggest challenge for BC is capacity. The downtown Vancouver Convention Centre will turn into a vaccination clinic, but not until later this week. In Ontario, they're doing nearly 200,000 vaccine shots a day, about 1,300 shots per 100,000 population. Alberta at about 32,000 shots a day and around 735 per 100,000. And BC about 30,000 shots a day and less than 600 per 100,000. It takes a week for a booster shot to be effective. And so basically, you know, the plan was to have people, a lot of people vaccinated over, you know, over the next couple of months, but that's not going to help avert a spike in cases in January. There are about 800,000 people who before this weekend have already hit six months between doses. Every week now, another 100 to 150,000 join the list, meaning at the current pace, it could take more than 45 days to catch up. Part of the solution, more vaccination sites. There are currently 514 pharmacies providing a COVID vaccine, another 254 coming on this week, and more to come. We will bring the total number of pharmacies up to 1,100. Those are spread around our province. They're very local. A lot of people will be obsessively checking their phones and email. Richard, what should mm -hmm. people do if they're not contacted? 
Yeah, so the province reminding people be patient about that text, but now that there are so many people eligible, you can call into that hotline. So get your pen and paper ready. You can call that number, 1-833-838-2323. If you have not received your text and you have waited more than 182 days, I have heard countless stories today, Sophie, about people who never received a text they made a phone call, they were told on the line they were eligible, and they were able to book an appointment within a few days. It may solve the problem for people and may allow BC to catch up a little more. And quickly, Sophie Stephanie, who you saw in my story, she was telling a lot of great stories about the way all of this is working and wanted to say a big thank you to Carol, who is her nurse who works at St. Paul's and in Vancouver mm -hmm. Coastal, made the booster experience great. And we're hearing mm -hmm. lots of good stories about that as well. And hopefully more stories like that as more people get their booster, Sophie. For sure, a lot of uh, healthcare workers being pushed to the limit right now, so uh, very grateful to them for all the work they're doing. Thank you, Richard. Well, we do have fewer COVID-19 numbers to share with you today, given that it is a holiday, but we know the case count. We have 9,332 new cases to report. It breaks down like this, just over 4,000 on Friday, 3,069 on Saturday, and a little more than 2,200 on Sunday. Uh, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on where we are seeing all of these cases and which health region has the most. Keith. Yeah, it's always interesting to track the geography of COVID-19. For the longest time, Fraser Health was the dominant area for COVID-19. Then it dropped down to really low numbers, as with Vancouver Coastal. But it's gone back the way it was before. Here's why it was breaking down geographically. Not only does it last three days, but a few days before that as well. Fraser Health, once again, more than half the cases, almost 5,000 cases there over three days. Vancouver Coastal, which had very little COVID-19 just a few weeks ago, now with 20% of the cases. The interior is starting to creep up a bit. Vancouver Island is starting to go down a little bit. We didn't have a lot of COVID for the longest time. Well, we still have one more than 1,100 cases over the last two days. And Northern Health continues to go down with low numbers. So this sort of geographical allocation has been like this for a few days now as the cases surge. Fraser Health and Vancouver Coastal really where most COVID-19 is right now in B.C. And what have you learned, Keith, about how many of these cases are Omicron versus the Delta variant? Yeah, so every Friday, the Center for Disease Control posts its variant of concern report, and they estimate how many cases are Omicron, how many cases are Delta. And the Omicron continues to rise, the Delta continues to decline, but it depends where you live in the province. BC, the overall average is 85% Omicron, uh, Delta 15%. And this is the week, December 12th to 18th. Fraser and Vancouver Coastal's identical numbers, Omicron seems to have taken over there. Less so in Vancouver Island, 80% to 20%. And then it's a different story in the interior and the north where Omicron really not as prevalent as it is in Metro uh, Vancouver and the capital region. Again, these are estimates uh, of the estimated prevalence of this. It's not completed whole genome sequencing on all the cases yet, but Omicron is creeping up in numbers significantly, particularly uh, in urban areas. Now, tomorrow we're going to get an update on hospitalizations and ICU numbers. That's going to tell us a clearer picture of what's going on out there rather than just the case number today. Uh, we're now about two weeks after the big surge in cases were first detected. That should tell us uh, whether that lag period is going to translate into more hospitalizations, particularly in Fraser and Vancouver Coastal, where Omicron is by far the, the dominant variant. We'll get that tomorrow afternoon. Okay, we'll be looking for that. Thanks, Keith. Well, people once again lined up for hours to get a COVID test in Metro Vancouver today. I think I have COVID. <laughs> Got to get it tested, huh? Yeah. And this was the scene at the St. Vincent's testing site near Heather and 33rd in Vancouver. 
car snaked back several blocks, once again causing traffic chaos in the area. Have you been waiting very long? Two hours and 15 minutes. 2.15, eh? What do you think? Well, um, hopefully we get in in about a half an hour and uh, we find out the results. Probably close to two hours. Two hours already? Yeah, maybe just under. Well, what do you think? What is what it is, right? Can't complain. The line to have a test to do at home. So yeah, that's a bit frustrating. Vancouver Coastal Health resumed operations this morning at both the St. Vincent's and YVR test sites after they were closed due to sub-zero temperatures over the holidays. Well, with other provinces announcing new restrictions to curb the spread of the Omicron variant, questions are being asked about the possibility of more orders in B.C. As Aaron MacArthur reports, one B.C. expert says Ontario's return to virtual learning is actually a mistake. It's deja vu all over again. Ontario taking drastic measures to contain the spread of the Omicron variant. Indoor dining, closed, social gatherings, new limits, retail stores reduced to 50% capacity, gyms closed to virtually everyone. The new measures in place for at least 21 days. We're not going to be able to stop it. Uh, We'll have to blunt it as best we can. Parents aren't pleased. School, already delayed, will now be closed until at least January 17th. Ontario is facing 15,000 cases a day of Omicron. Experts are warning that number could be more than 100,000 if nothing is done to stop the spread. Ontario implementing the new measures a week after Quebec was forced into a similar situation. The Canadian government now sending the military to Montreal to assist with mass vaccination. And police are breaking up protests on the streets after curfew. Case numbers across the country on similar trajectories. Records in Atlantic Canada, the prairies, and in the north. In B.C., where testing lines continue to stretch for blocks, the restrictions in place as of Friday appear to be all the measures the provincial government is willing to take. From the very beginning, we have managed our own pandemic. We are using the data that we have here in BC and watching the patterns that we're seeing, uh, looking at how uh, it's spreading in our communities here. There is no public appetite for an Ontario-style lockdown, and it might be too late to stop the wave from cresting anyway. Schools in BC have remained open, and infectious disease doctors say that is something that needs to continue. Children and teenagers at home is bad for their physical health, bad for their mental health, bad for the health of families. Just not a good and or equal option. We need to get them back to school. And in the era of Omicron, leaving them in the community may ironically be more dangerous. In BC, school is on pause until January 10th. And despite significant community spread, parents should be prepared for in-person education. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, the return to class for most students in BC has been pushed back to January 10th, but not everyone is happy with that. The province announced last week that due to the spread of the highly transmissible Omicron variant, only children of essential workers as well as kids with special needs will be back tomorrow. Some parents and teachers are welcoming the delay. Still, Kyla Cameron, a Kelowna mother of twins, feels it is unethical to close schools while places like malls and big box stores remain open. 
other than it being inconvenient, I don't think that it's right for the kids to keep them out of school. They have the lowest risk rate statistically and they need their education. We had schools open uh, when we didn't have vaccines. And now we do have vaccines and uh, they're even safer places. BC's education minister has said the extra week will allow education and public health officials to assess the impact of Omicron. But some parents are calling for more safety measures, such as increased use of N95 masks, improved air purifiers and rapid testing. Well, there is confusion tonight for many people looking to follow through on a New Year's resolution to get fit. Some fitness studios are reopening, claiming they don't fall under the provincial health order to close. As Rumina Dea reports, others who remain closed are calling for greater clarity from the province. In defiance of government COVID restrictions, Iron Energy Fitness Centre in West Kelowna is open. No longer willing to blindly comply. Um, I feel like we've been complying for the last two years and we've been following all the rules and all the mandates and we just decided that we're not willing to stand for it anymore. Vaccine passports, masks, distancing, sanitizing. The owners say they've done everything the government has asked to keep people safe. In their opinion, there's no evidence gyms are making people sick. They're making them healthier. It's your sanity, like especially through the holidays, like it's such a hard time for so many people. And to take that away from people is just crazy when you can go to Costco, you can go to restaurants. There's so many things that you can do and just none of it makes sense. In Langley and White Rock, 30-minute hit and box to fit are also opening, according to social media posts. Owners would not comment on camera, but made it clear they're following all provincial health guidelines. Fraser Health says it needs more time to confirm whether the boxing gyms were given approval because they fall under sport, not exercise and fitness, which is banned indoors for adults. It's completely not, not fair and very unjust, and there's so much confusion. Oxygen yoga remains closed according to government regulations. The CEO says the mental health of members is at stake. Studio owners struggling to pay the bills. This business was a place that built community, that gave people a space to come and channel their energy in a positive way. And it's been taken away. And it's just, I'm sorry, it's just, it's very sad. And there is no clear definition and answers as to why this continues to happen. The Ministry of Health did not respond to our request for an interview. The ban on indoor adult exercise in effect until January 18th. What happens after that? Uncertainty. Romina Dea, Global News. A used car lot in Langley is counting up its losses after being hit by thieves over the weekend. The suspects were caught on camera, kicking in the door to the office. At least half a dozen vehicles were stolen, but that wasn't even the worst of it. What else they got away with that'll cause problems for months to come? Next on the News Hour. A warning if you're heading out into the hills. A call out for North Shore Rescue today when an avalanche trapped two skiers. How they're doing now and what you need to know about the risk coming up. Plus, BC conservation officers respond to thousands of calls each year. Later on the news hour, some of the more unique ones of 2021. 
Right now, though, the owner of a car dealership in Langley is offering a big reward to catch the car thieves who made off with several of his vehicles. And that's not all. As Krista Dow reports, it's the key vault they also stole that will create a logistical nightmare for some time to come. We don't have keys for both our SSs, the 67 um, RS, the four Vipers out back, the G-Wagon. Inventory ready to go. Some already sold, but all of them missing a key component. It, it, all the keys are gone. The keys to the roughly 300 vehicles on the lot stolen yesterday morning between 5 and 8 a.m. Lifted right from the TMT Auto Finance dealership in Langley. We noticed that um, somebody had obviously been in the building. Um, they've taken... Um, you know, a number of units from here, uh, as well as our key vault, um, which has keys to all our inventory. It shows these two guys kicking in the door uh, to my office here. The break-in captured on surveillance video. Owner Vicky Dodd, while going through hours of footage, three suspects, two men and a woman, captured on camera, boosting a total of seven vehicles. It's gut-wrenching. It's, uh, it's a huge invasion of privacy. Um, when somebody comes into your private space, it's, it's very disturbing. Four of the vehicles were recovered by RCMP later that day, but the missing keys creating a logistical nightmare for the shop. Well, we've got a car in the showroom here that's sold, that's supposed to be delivered to um, its new owner. We can't move the car that's in front of it, and we don't have keys for the car that they're purchasing. It gives extra work, but it's extra work that's going to cost a lot of money also. I have to more or less make sure that everything is still properly intact. I have to find out what is missing, what is not missing, and try to put things back together in that. Dadwall is offering up $10,000 to anyone who has information on the suspects or the whereabouts of the keys. He's hoping the video can jog someone's memory. We're just optimistic and, and hoping for the best results here with the community's help. In the meantime, he's working on rekeying all the vehicles on the lot, a process that will take months and costing hundreds of thousands of dollars. Krista Dow, Global News. Vancouver police have made an arrest in connection with a homicide back in August. It happened in Grandview Park near Commercial Drive and left a 60-year-old East Vancouver man dead. Gilles Hébert was assaulted at the park and later died in hospital. Vancouver police say a five-month investigation has led to manslaughter charges against 39-year-old Jeff Lincoln. Lincoln remains in custody pending a bail hearing on Tuesday. Just ahead, the hockey community in mourning. If you look around this community, everyone knows Mike, or the, in a hockey community, someone has played hockey with Mike. Friends pay tribute to the couple killed in a tragic accident in Horseshoe Bay. Plus, a tricky rescue on the North Shore after a skier is hurt in an avalanche. A backcountry skier has been injured in an avalanche in Cypress Provincial Park. North Shore rescue crews making their way up to the Hollyburn Mountain area of Cyprus where the skier suffered a broken leg in an avalanche. A helicopter was not able to fly to the scene because of thick cloud cover. That meant ground crews had to conduct the rescue. We were skiing around the side of Hollyburn Mountain here and uh, we were just wrapping around when we heard a cry for help. And there was a party of two guys um, that looked like they were in distress so we just... Uh, you know, walked up in our skis to where they were, and um, yeah, when we got there, we found out that one of the guys uh, got caught in the slide and like partially buried, and then the slide um, 
took him through some trees and so he had a bit of trauma um, somewhere so we just had to stabilize him, keep him warm and call uh, search and rescue. Crews say this is a reminder that backcountry conditions are dangerous right now right across the region. So just how bad is that avalanche risk right now and what do you need to know before heading out? Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with those details. Christy. Sophie, the reason why it's so dangerous right now is we've had more than 100 centimeters in parts of the South Coast and Sea to Sky Mountains over the last three days. So since January 1st, and we've got more snow on the way. And this massive slab of snow is on top of a very weak layer that was created in late December when it was so cold and dry. So these are the concerns. The risk is high, not only tonight, but through the day tomorrow for all of the South Coast and Sea to Sky Mountains. And this is in the Alpine right down through the tree line. So a significant elevation of the mountains. Human triggered avalanches are very likely. Travel in the backcountry is not recommended. Now, as I mentioned, we have more snow on the way, not only for the mountains, but for here as well. And so when I come back, I'll show you which areas could see up to 15 centimeters. All right, thanks, Christy. We are learning more today about the two people killed when a giant tree collapsed onto their Horseshoe Bay home early Sunday. One was a former junior hockey player. The other was a travel writer. As Grace Key reports, both are being praised as great contributors to their community. Michael and Caroline Sharp shared a love for adventure. They traveled and went scuba diving all over the world. They were both loving people. They're very generous. They, they always open, had their home open to anyone. You could have a cup of coffee or a beer there anytime. The two were tragically killed when a tree fell on top of their West Vancouver home early Sunday morning after a windstorm blew through the area. Their 24-year-old son was staying at a friend's house that night. The hockey community is mourning their loss. Michael was recognized for more than 12 years of service to the West Vancouver Minor Hockey Association, where he coached his son. Mike actually was one of the best coaches I've ever watched coach. He was just a very understanding, very level-headed uh, and he could not only just coach the parents, sometimes you have to or coach the kids, sometimes you have to coach the parents. And Mike knew how to handle uh, all those uh, behaviors. Friend Perry Braun wanted to speak outside the West Vancouver Seniors Activity Center, where Michael not only matched a $100,000 grant for Feed the Need, but ended up raising $300,000 for vulnerable seniors during COVID. I wanted to uh, put him up for Volunteer of the Year. And um, uh, I talked myself out of it because that's not the kind of recognition that he would want, I think. And I feel uh, a little sad about not doing that now because I think he does deserve the recognition because he was one of those people that um, certainly left the world in a better place. On social media, one friend wrote, Sharpie was their hockey goaltender for Wednesday night games for the past 20 years, adding he would also let them know when someone in the room was going through a tough time so they could all help out or lend an ear. They will be missed. Grace Key, Global News. Coming up, the tax exemption with a catch. So we didn't get any break on any of our property uh, transfer taxes or anything. Why first-time buyers aren't always off the hook. Also ahead, America's Omicron wave, the U.S. strategy to deal with the surge. 
Well, now that 2020 property assessments are out and in many cities, once again showing double-digit increases, new attention is being focused on another impediment for many buyers, the property transfer tax. As Ted Chernecki reports, the exemption for first-time buyers has also been priced out of the market. Ah, the love, mostly hate relationship we call BC's housing market. The assessments are out, and detached homeowners might love that their property value is up 20 to 30 percent in a single year, but would-be home buyers hate the fact this could be the final nail in their coffin of dreams for home ownership. We used every penny we had, money we had gotten for vac- like a honeymoon from our wedding. We emptied every account we had to pay for our down payment and then had to use extra credit just to pay for the transfer taxes. The property transfer tax, a $1.5 billion cash cow that's milking first-time home buyers dry. Newlyweds Marion and Taylor gave up on the Lower Mainland, moved to the Okanagan, and even there could barely afford a half-duplex where they could raise a family. Even the $500,000 exemption from paying the property transfer tax didn't apply to them. There should be at least a break on the first 500000 They purchased the half-duplex for $675,000, but then had to pay the full transfer tax of more than $11,000. And with other fees, had to find 14000 more from a line of credit. And just to make the down payment, they withdrew all $25,000 from their RRSP, which they now have to pay back over 15 years. Property transfer tax is a property tax that punishes you for buying or selling a home. So really, you ought to have higher property tax, get rid of the property transfer tax and make the same amount of revenue. And in fact, you'd make more revenue because you wouldn't be screwing up the housing market. And that $500,000 exemption is almost laughable. Filter today's listings to just those properties lower than $500,000 and the total of 5,870 listings drops to just 330. Academics who study this market say you can't have record low interest rates and a chronic shortage of housing that pushes real estate prices ever higher. A lifetime's earnings might start to get small relative to the value of homes. So if fundamentals don't change, there's going to have to be some rethinking of home ownership. That could mean far more renting in the future. One thing is certain, what's been done so far to keep prices from soaring isn't working. Ted Chernecki, Global News. So just how much money does the property transfer tax bring in? The B.C. government estimated that in the fiscal year ending March of 2021, it accounted for nearly $1.6 billion. That's more than either alcohol taxes or revenue from the B.C. Lottery Corporation. Well, the owners of a Victoria liquor store are hoping police can track down a couple of teenagers who did a lot of damage to their store. Surveillance cameras at the Cook Street liquor store caught the two painting a large piece of graffiti on their front door shutter. It happened at about 2 a.m. December 31st. One teen does the spray painting. The other acts as a lookout. The store says it spent about nine min- uh, they spent about nine minutes to complete their work before moving on. Owners say there has been a lot of damage done by graffiti in the area. Now to the ongoing COVID crisis south of the border, where America's daily average for new cases sits higher than 400,000, while hospitalizations are up 30% from last week. That vertical spike has left businesses struggling for staff and has prompted the FDA to authorize boosters for an even younger population. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. Three calendar years into this pandemic, the American situation is still getting worse. 
The numbers are astronomical. Delta's resilience and Omicron's ability to spread quickly has sharpened the focus on vaccines, an effort that struggled to get above 60%. You want to meet this virus with as much immunity under your belt as possible. Seeing the writing on the wall, the FDA on Monday authorized Pfizer's booster for kids 12 to 15 and immunocompromised 5 to 11-year-olds. It needs CDC's sign-off, but doctors say it could protect the most vulnerable. The one group that that may be a problem for is very young kids, very young children, toddlers, who have trouble with upper airway infections. More than 7 million kids have contracted COVID in the U.S., a reality that's led to the struggle over school policy. We're going to do do everything that we have to do to keep our schools open. Despite breaking case records, New York City classes are full, with testing requirements in place. Other cities, including Washington, D.C., are back to virtual. It comes in the shadows of growing pediatric hospitalizations, nearly 400 a day last week. It's a lot of croup-like illness, a lot of bronchiolitis-type illness caused by this Omicron variant. Inside hospitals, the pressure is still on. Admissions are up 4%, outpacing the rate that staff are calling out sick. Even a smaller proportion of a larger number of people getting very sick means that our hospitals are on high alert. Making matters worse, a Columbia University study showing peak Omicron in the U.S. could hit next week, bringing upwards of 5 million new cases. And that's put a new spotlight on the CDC after it updated guidance on asymptomatic isolation, cutting it to just five days, a move that was criticized for not including a negative test. That could now change, but could also pose new hurdles with test availability and lab abilities unable to keep up with demand. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Coming up, first COVID, then cold. I've been out since three in the morning and my flight got changed twice. The perfect storm canceling thousands of flights. Also ahead, wild calls about wildlife. The strange tips the BC Conservation Officer Service has to deal with. Well, the misery never ends for hundreds of thousands of air travelers in the U.S. A wicked winter storm, the latest blow to their chances of getting home from the holidays anytime soon. Adding more misery to weary and stranded travelers coming back from the holidays. A massive storm stretching from the deep south, Florida and Alabama, to the nation's capital in the bullseye today. Hit with up to a foot of snow. Air Force One returning to Joint Base Andrews in virtual whiteout conditions. The president emerging from the plane in a blinding snowstorm. In the I-95 corridor, thousands of cars stranded and stuck. Accidents and power outages. Amtrak also affected. At the center of the bullseye, Reagan National Airport. Topping the list of most affected airports today, 84% of departures canceled. I've been here since 7 o'clock. I've been delayed three times and then canceled. Today's storm, the latest blow to airlines and hundreds of thousands of holiday passengers. Since Christmas Eve, more than 18,000 flights canceled. Hit hard by airline and TSA staffers calling out sick with COVID. Then a series of winter storms. 3,000 flights canceled. Here at Reagan Airport, the snow coming down so heavily they had to close the main runway for plowing at 8 a.m. Thousands of passengers stuck. I'm trying to fly back home. I've been out since 3 in the morning this morning, and my flight got changed twice. The cancellations rippling across the country from Chicago O'Hare to Fort Lauderdale. 
where Andrea Lynn and her kids have been trying to get to Detroit since Friday. We had to stay an extra couple days, and hotels are outrageous on New Year's Eve. So we were kind of trapped. While it truly has been a perfect series of storms for the airlines, consumer advocates say the airlines also bear some blame. The airline industry has been understaffed for months, even before this latest surge with COVID going back to the summer. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at our weather forecast. We have more snow on the way, as you mentioned earlier, Christy. Yes, of course, this isn't great news for drivers, but there's a lot of kids that are out of school right now, and that is terrific news, as well as the caregivers that are looking after those kids, because it's nice to be able to get them outside. Here's a look, though. There's going to be quite a variability across the Metro Vancouver region, as always, but this region uh, reason is a little bit different this time. In the meantime here, 2 to 15 centimeters, so up to 15 for Metro Vancouver, but some areas may see only 2. Here's the reason why. What we have is a very unstable air mass across the region. You can even see a lightning strike in the satellite imagery. That means that these pockets of precipitation that move in could be really intense. So one area may get a massive dump up to 15 centimeters, whereas the neighbor, you know, neighboring neighborhood could see nothing or just two centimeters. So there'll be quite a variability and that's displayed here in this uh, future cast that you can see here. So that's right through the day tomorrow. Although in some areas tomorrow, if you do see that precipitation, it would just be as rainfall. Uh, inland regions, we're still talking about five to 15 centimeters for the southeastern corner of the province. That will ease off for you finally overnight. You've had a ton of snow and significant cold in through the northern regions. So we're talking about wind chills down to minus 50 and through the far north. We're absolutely concerned about frostbite within minutes. Even during the day tomorrow, you'll likely see wind chills of only minus 40. Now for the south coast, that chance of snow is tonight through the day tomorrow, but you see a lot of regions warm up tomorrow. So especially across Vancouver Island, it will likely just be rain when that precipitation moves in, whereas the south coast still has a chance of snow even throughout the day tomorrow. Here's tonight's central windows weather window, which is coming to you from... Yes, snow-covered Nelson. They have had so much snow. Apparently, there's a RAV4 underneath there. All right, I was so wondering what that was. Okay, if you say <laughs> so. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, the BC Conservation Officer Service is out with its list of the most unique calls it received in 2021. Of the 30,000-plus tips that came in last year, there were certainly some peculiar inquiries. Among the odd calls, a person who was concerned that she had spotted a cougar wearing a pink collar. One woman asked for compensation after a bear repeatedly damaged her shed. Another was worried about an otter sitting on a log with an irritated mouth. And then there was a man who was worried about the potential for a porcupine nest on his property. The Conservation Officer Service says these were just a few of the more lighthearted moments that left them scratching their heads last year. I think a pink collar on a cougar might look nice. Like with the coloring, I think it's a nice accessory, so. The real question is, does the cougar think it looks nice? Well, the cougar- Because you'd hate to upset them. You know, that's true. You don't want to upset the You don't the want to upset a cougar with, mm -hmm. the, with the wrong colored collar. If they don't point. like that collar, there's gonna be a problem. Good point. Uh, Thatcher Demko was named one of the three stars of December by the NHL today. Some say he is playing as well as he did in the bubble playoffs of 2020. A little sick of people talking about it, you know, the Bubble Demko thing. All right, fair enough. But Bubble Demko is two years older, or make that non-Bubble Demko is two years older than Bubble Demko, and he's played well all season long, not just for one series.
And later, royal deal. What's revealed in a legal settlement with Prince Andrew's accuser? All right, Squire, what do you have for us? Bad hair. Oh, sorry. Oh. I also have... You me? No, you. No, me. I would never say your hair is bad. Well... My hair is much worse than yours has ever know. been. Today, it's not good, either, yeah, well, either of us. Good thing you're standing beside me, because it looks great. Uh, I have, think we have said this before, but as good as Jim Benning's draft picks like Quinn Hughes, Brock Besser, and Elias Pedersen have been... His most valuable draft pick of all was Thatcher Demko. As great a turnaround as Bruce Boudreaux has manufactured, he wouldn't have a nine-game streak of being unbeaten in regulation time without Demko and, to a lesser extent, Yaroslav Halak. Demko has been an avenger for Boudreaux and the Canucks, always saving the day. And today he was given recognition from the NHL for his work last month. He's the NHL's third star of the month and for good reason. Thatcher Demko's played a major role in the Canucks' resurgence under Bruce Boudreaux, going 7-1 with a 1.72 goals against average, along with a 9.46 save percentage for the month of December. Here's a lead pass and a breakaway. Hobgo is in. Stopped by Demko. I, I think we always look at him as you know, being right at the top of the league in terms of uh, goaltending. You know, if I had to pick a moment where... You know, if you want to call it a breakthrough moment or wherever, you know, you look back at the bubble and what he did then. Uh, we knew even before that, you know, how good he was. And, uh, you know, he's just, you know, he's carried that through and been unbelievable for us the last two years. That bubble performance reinforced the belief that Thatcher Demko and not Jacob Markstrom was the Canucks' number one goal of the future. Without Demko, there was no bubble playoff success. Ever since then, the just-turned 26-year-old has not only come into his own as the Canucks' starting goalie, he's also developed into one of the NHL's best. Nobody's faced more shots, played more minutes, or started more games this season than Demko. He made a stick save, no corner, stopped by Demko! The bubble was what it was, and it was a cool experience, and a little sick of people talking about it, you know, the bubble Demko thing. Um, you know, it was, it was awesome, but... Uh, you know, it was just three games, and I knew I had a lot more to prove. And last year, I felt like I flirted with it a little bit. And this year, I really wanted to come in and um, just nail down that consistency and prove that I could do it on a nightly basis. So, I've been lucky to really have a lot of good young goalies. But right at the beginning, like I've had Holtby at the beginning when he would battle everybody and um, Varlamov battle everybody. And even at the end, Kolzig was still a battler. But... Uh, um, Thatcher reminds me a lot of John Gibson um, when John first started as well. So, I mean, all great goalies that I've been lucky enough to be uh, with, and he, he's another one. Goodness, what happened there? Jay Janor, Global Sports. New York Rangers hosting the Edmonton Oilers tonight. Remember when Edmonton was good and the Canucks were bad this season? Now it's the other way around. Miko Koskinen loses the puck to Ryan Strome. And it's a goal for Lafreniere. That's one of the reasons the orders are struggling. Bad goaltending. And plus, if McDavid and Dreisaitl don't do much, they usually lose. This is a weird play. This is a flexion by Chris Kreider. Look how long the puck takes to go in the net. It looks like he stopped it, but Koskinen doesn't actually have it. There it rolls in. 
New York wins it 4-1 over Edmonton. Well, we still don't know why Antonio Brown took off his uniform yesterday and left the Buccaneers-Jets game while it was still going on. He hasn't said why he did it. The Bucks aren't really saying why, if in fact they actually know why it happened. But here it is again. He was upset about something while he was on the sidelines. A couple of teammates tried to keep him from doing what he did, but failed. Brown has had issues with other teams he has played for, but nothing quite like this. After he walked off the field, he stayed in New York. He's at the Brooklyn Nets game tonight and was subsequently kicked off the team. There were stories that he didn't want to go back into the game because he had a sore ankle, but the Buccaneers coach says that's not the case. I don't know that he was. Did he, did he say that he was, or was there a dispute no. about that? No. He just refused to go in, or can you tell us more about it? Not really. I mean, it ha- what happened is pretty obvious what happened. So, uh, you know, he left the field, and that was it. What emotions do you have as somebody who, who has defended him and, and helped keep him on the team for so long? And, and were there precipitating moments leading up to that incident on the sideline yesterday? No, none whatsoever. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I care about him a bunch. I hope that, uh, that he's okay. The video in this next story is a little scary, so be forewarned. The NFL is investigating why a railing gave way at Washington's FedEx field, sending eight fans six feet down to where Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts was walking off after Philadelphia won 2016. Here's a couple of angles at what happened. All the injuries were considered minor. Jalen Hurts was high-fiving Eagle fans who had made the trip to watch their team play when the railing could no longer handle the weight of the fans. Most got up rather quickly, and uh, then some used the opportunity once they had fallen in the tunnel area to take some quick pictures with Hertz, who did help one fan up. A stadium official said they offered medical help immediately, but some fans say that's not true. They were just told to get off the field. Jalen Hurts himself is just glad no one was seriously hurt. Well, I'm just happy everybody's safe from it. I'm happy everybody's safe from it. Um, that's crazy. That's crazy stuff right there. That was a real dangerous situation. And I'm just ho- so happy um, everybody bounced back from it. It seemed like it. Um, passion of the Eagles fans. I love it. Premier League, Old Trafford, Manchester United, and Wolves. And Wolves today beat him. 82nd minute while Mutino with this goal. And that's the only goal that would happen. 1-0 Wolverhampton over Man United. There you go. All right. Thank you, Squire. Up next, a potential roadblock for the woman suing Prince Andrew. Stay with us. A newly unsealed civil settlement could potentially impact a lawsuit against Prince Andrew. The 2009 legal settlement between convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein and the woman accusing Prince Andrew of forcing her into sex as a teenager has been made public. As Global's Redmond Shannon reports, it'll now be up to a judge to decide if a clause in that pact blocks Virginia Jufri's lawsuit against Prince Andrew. Despite this now infamous picture, Prince Andrew has always maintained his innocence. 
I have no recollection of ever meeting this lady. His accuser, Virginia Dufresne, says the Duke of York forced her into sex three times when she was under 18. She says she was trafficked by the prince's friends. Convicted sex offenders Jeffrey Epstein and Epstein's girlfriend, Ghislaine Maxwell. In 2019, Epstein died in prison. Last week, Maxwell was convicted of sex trafficking young girls. We're told constantly, you know, these people will never go to jail. They, they're too powerful. They're too rich. This is not the end. This is just the beginning. Andrew has not been accused of any criminal wrongdoing. His lawyers will argue before a judge Tuesday that Epstein's 2009 settlement with Jufre shields the prince from her civil lawsuit. In the newly published document, Epstein agreed to pay Jufre 500,000 US dollars if she agreed not to sue any other person or entity who could have been included as a potential defendant from all manner of legal action. That is just so vague and bizarre to me. Lawyer Lisa Bloom represented eight of Epstein's victims. She says the judge should allow Jufre's case against Andrew to proceed despite the Epstein deal. I think it would be wrong and a violation of essential principles of contract law to have Prince Andrew released because he's not mentioned by name anywhere in the agreement. Even if Andrew's lawyers succeed, Royal Watchers think the damage is done. I think regardless of what happens in the next couple of days in the States, Prince Andrew's career as a working royal is sadly over. Uh, I think he's finished. His reputation is in such tatters that uh, I really don't think he can come back from this. If the case does go ahead, it's not expected to begin until September. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. All right, more snow on the way. Uh, Could make for a bit of a messy commute tomorrow morning, Christy. Yes, exactly. So that's the biggest concern that we want to let people know, not only during the morning hours, but even in the afternoon. So what we're going to see is these pockets of pretty intense precipitation. And some areas may see 15 centimeters of snow and some may not see any at all. Happy New Year. Well, I guess we're three days into it now. All right. That's the news (laughs) hour for this Monday. Thanks for joining us. Good night, all.